on? Oh, it is on? Man, just, it's beautiful. I can just turn around and look at that. That was, that was awesome. <laughs> so, um, man, that, that's like, that just set everything up for me. I feel like everyone's just ready to hear whatever I have to say now. Because, I mean, we just shared what, how good God is and, and how real he is and how, how much he moves in people's lives. And we're like, let's just get more of that. And um, just want to thank uh, our senior pastors here, um, Ryan and uh, Ryan and Suki Longfield. Right? It's not like I forgot their name. I was just, um, but I, I see Ryan right here. I, I don't know where Suki is. Maybe she's with the kids today. Or she's on vacation. All right. Without you. <laughs> so, yeah, but uh, man, they're just awesome people. And every time um, they give me an opportunity to share, um, like, I'm really thankful, like, wow, thank you for trusting me, and I'm also, like, thank you guys for every week coming up here and um, really taking this, like, with so much, um, just, like, their heart, like, it's, it's, um, it's not stressful to, to preach, but there, there's, like, a, a responsibility to it, you know, and I enjoy it, but there's, like, a responsibility, and you guys carry that every week, and when I don't have to carry it, I just come, and I'm like, this is great, when I have to carry it, I'm like, oh, I'm carrying, and again, it's not stressful, but it, there's a... You know, like you want to make sure that you're sharing what God wants to say to our group this moment. And so um, let's pray. Uh, Father, um, I'm so thankful that we can call you Father. I'm thankful that you have renewed what a father is. And God, I'm thankful that you are a father to the fatherless, like you said in Psalms. And God, we just give this time to you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Um, yesterday, I celebrated with my wife five years of marriage. Five. 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 Right. She's sitting in the front row right here, the, the other beautiful lady. They're, they're, they're. And um, definitely, I know you're looking at her, you're looking at me, and you're like, that guy must have prayed, he must have fasted, he must have, and I did, I did. You know, I was like, Lord, just, just make me good looking to her. That's not... It doesn't have to be to other people, but to her, you know, like, put angels around me or whatever you need to do. Um, yeah, you know, but <laughs> don't write that down, though. That, <laughs> you know, that, you know, actually, I, I didn't pray that because that would be manipulation, right? Like, that's, we don't do that. Um, but it, it's, it's been great. It's like marriage hasn't always been easy, um, probably a lot of times because of me. But um, it's always been healing, and it's been, it's been amazing, and um, really practicing grace and forgiveness, like, it's, 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 it's life-changing, it is, and so, I love you, and um, now let's get to the sermon. <laughs> but um, we also have a daughter, and so, like, I remember, like, our first year anniversary, second year anniversary, it's like, oh, let's do something fancy, something romantic, um, and, and then I'm not going to be like, the, oh, then you have kids and everything, died. no, um, so, like, it was awesome to take our daughter to celebrate our anniversary. Like, I mean, it's like, you're, you're the fruit of our anniversary, right? And so, yesterday, we got to celebrate with her. We took her to the park, right? She rode the swings for a long time. We took her to Costco, you know? <laughs> hey, hey, Costco is pretty awesome if you get there early, right? And, and um, it, was, it was just great to spend time with her and have her be a part, like, of our anniversary celebration. Um, I love spending time with my daughter. Uh, I'm a teacher, so when I was on summer break, um, yes, 
when, I mean, people are like, isn't that your favorite part of your job? I was like, when I don't have to do my job? <laughs> I was like, but summer break is great. I get to spend time with my family. And so I would take Olivia. Uh, my wife also works at the same school, but she's in administration, so she doesn't get the summers off. She's, she still goes to work. Um, but I would take Olivia to the zoo all the time. We go to the Oakland Zoo, um, take her all the time. And, and when, when I'm there, though, like, at the same time, I didn't want to spend a lot of time there because it gets hot. And um, we would go, like, two to three times a week. Right? And it's like the same route I had, the most efficient route, you know? And, and like, I got my little jogging stroller and like running around. And sometimes we do it in 30 minutes, sometimes in 45 minutes. It's really, I don't know, it's really fast. Um, and so then I'm like, okay, now we're going to the African Sahara. And then we're going to see the elephants. And then you're going to see the zebras. And after that, we're going to go around and then we're going to hit the giraffes. And I'm walking. And then I didn't realize the first couple times because I wasn't like listening to her. But yeah, because I'm focused on, we got to get to the elephants. And um, sometimes when they're feeding it, it's really awesome because, like, that's when they actually move, right? Because the other times they're always, like, kind of hiding in the corner. Like, uh, I don't know if I like this place. And, and so, like, but when they bring the food, they always bring the food, like, right by the people, right, to force them to come in front of you. Um, so I guess that would be kind of sad, too. But, but I, I'm running because, like, I want to get good seats, right? And we're like, you know, let's go see the elephants. And she likes elephants, too. And, and, and one day I actually kind of, like, listened to her. And she would always be like, birdies, birdies. Because, like, there's this huge enclosure with a net over it filled with birds. And I would always run by it because it's filled with birds, right? And, like, I'm like, I don't need to pay money or go to a zoo to see birds. I see birds all the time when I'm walking around, right? But I don't see elephants. And so I'd skip it. But every time I'm, I realized, like, Mike, I'm like, every time I would run by this enclosure, you would always be, like, pointing, saying, ah, bah, bah, birdies, birdies. And I'd be like, yep, birdies. And then and I would run. And so, like, this time I stopped. So I was like, you want to see the birds? She's like, yes. And so I took her out, and, and like, you know, they were like, honestly, I don't remember what they're called, but they were yellow birds. And they were like, they were like other kind of birds that didn't, that were different colors. They have a sign, but I didn't even look at the sign. I was like, there's a yellow bird. There's another bird. Are you going to go see the elephants now? Um, but I realized, like, she was so amazed by birds. And I, I was like, was there a time I was ever amazed by birds? Maybe. Like, maybe when I was two or three, and I was like, wow, they can fly? Like, and I know we're like, of course, birds can fly. That's what birds do. Um, but I realized, like, she had just a, a sense of wonder. And she would just look at them. And, but here's the thing. She's two. We were driving in the car one time, and my wife screams, look! And I was like, what? And she's like, a snowy egret! Which is a bird, right? Because... <laughs> None of you know that either, right? I feel better. It's like a snowy egret and a blue heron together. They're friends. And I was like, and I was like are those birds? And you know their names? And, I was like, and she's like, yeah, I remember when I told you I was like in the rainforest in Peru and like I was bird watching. And I was like, yeah, I remember that. I was like, that, who does that? Who actually like sits with binoculars and like, oh, there's, there's that bird that I saw. And then she said there's over a thousand species or types of birds and then like she's like I only saw 250 and I was like 250 types of birds now I can't really tell you anything about birds right like I'm like if you press me I'm like okay I, I think their skeletons are hollow to support their flight um, they have beaks they have feathers um, I think there's the feathers closer to them are called plume like I know some stuff actually but <laughs> But, like, I can't tell you in detail the way Aaron can or the way someone who dedicates their lives to studying birds. And, 
And, and you see their wonder and amazement. And actually, my lack of wonder um, only reveals actually like my ignorance. Right? It, doesn't, it doesn't mean like, oh, I, I know that. I'm above that. It actually reveals like I actually don't really know much about birds. Because if I did, I would be in wonder and amazement and awe. And then I think about Jesus, like, who created these birds. Like, you know everything about these birds. But, like, Jesus, can you surprise him? And are you in wonder? And scriptures tell us that Jesus and God experience wonder and amazement. I'm like, how do you do that when, like, you know so much more than anyone else, but you can still see something and, 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 and find wonder in it and find astonishment? You know, and, and if you've been reading the scriptures um, you might have heard this story before where Jesus is actually amazed, right? And, and I used to think that God would be amazed and shocked, surprised, astonished by my sin. Right? like, can't believe you did that after I did this, you know, for you. And then you would go and do that. Like, but God's not shocked or amazed or astonished by our sin. And he's also not like, called it. I totally knew you were going to do that. I saw it, right? Like, no, it, but in the scriptures, it says, if we want to turn um, to Matthew 8, there's a story here of when Jesus is actually amazed and astonished. Now, we've been going through Matthew. Um, Pastor Ryan and Suki shared last week about the leper and how the leper came to Jesus. And leprosy was not only a physical um, disease, but it also cut you off from society, cut you off from your friends. You can never see your family or your friends again, right? But when, when he was healed, not only was he physically healed, but he was restored back to... I mean, the first thing he was probably thinking was... Man, I, get, I can go see my family, right? He wasn't thinking like, it wasn't like, oh, now I'm healthy. I mean, it was that. But it was probably like, now I can go see my wife. I can see my kids. I can, I wonder how they're doing. I wonder how big they are. Like, that's what he was, like, he was, he was restored to community, right? And, and the thing was like, he was a Jew, and the Jews were waiting for the Messiah. And then Jesus shows up, and some people were connecting the dots. Are you the Messiah? They didn't know he was God. They were like, are you going to be like a hero rescuer like David for our people? But they're like, the Messiah is coming for the good Jews. And the Pharisees were a group of people like, we are good Jews. We're doing what needs to be done so that, that God will come and save us. And then there are bad Jews, like people with leprosy. Obviously, he's a bad Jew because God has cursed him with leprosy. Messiah is not really coming for him. But Jesus shows, hey, I'm here for all Jews. Whether you think you're a good Jew or a bad Jew, I'm here for all of you. But now, after that story, we get here where it's not a Jew at all. It's a centurion who was a Roman. And the Romans were the enemy. They were the oppressors. They were the ones that came in and took over your country, right? There was a Roman law that said, hey, if you're a Jew, carry me a mile. And as a Jew, you had to carry that Roman citizen one mile on your back. Like, that's who was coming to Jesus. So in Matthew 8, it says, now, in verse 5, now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Now, if you don't know Jesus, that's surprising because the centurion is the enemy. If you know Jesus, you're like, I'm not surprised. Like, he even loves his enemies. For I am a man... Oh, the centurion answered, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, 
he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. That's a burn right there, by the way. <laughs> and I say to you, it's like saying like, man, this person loves me more, even more than my family, right? It's, it's, like a, it's kind of a dig right there, right, a little bit. Um, and I say to you, and it, and it gets a little worse, and I say to you that many will come from the east and the west. He's meaning people who are not Jews. People will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's saying, and, and sit at your table in your seat in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. If we know Jesus, we're not surprised that he had compassion on someone who was an oppressor and considered an enemy. But it is surprised, but Jesus was surprised by the centurion. He's like, how do you have faith? He was marveling, astonished. Like, he's like, the Jews, we've been prophesying for hundreds of years and sending prophets and signs and miracles that a Messiah is coming. I don't know how you heard about this, but how do you recognize me? I mean, he had amazing faith. He was astonished by his faith, but part of that was that he could recognize the authority in Jesus, but the Jews couldn't recognize it. Now, Jesus was surprised again, um, and this time by Israel. And it's in Mark 6, and you don't have to turn there, but for later reference, if you want to cross-trek and all that, it's talking about Jesus, and he goes back to Nazarene. Um, that's where he kind of grew up for a bit. Where did this man get these things, they asked, and these are the people that grew up with Jesus. What's this wisdom that has been given to him? So they're recognizing, like, he's got some skills. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? But isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Skipping like a verse or two. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and his own home. He was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed by the centurion's faith. Like, how do you recognize me? And then he was amazed by the people he spent time with. How do you not recognize me? And a lot of times, we confuse proximity with intimacy. Like, just because we're near something and close to there's stuff about my wife that I'm still finding out that I'm like, what? And then, like Kerwin said, I've been telling you for years. And I was like, oh, I'm going to listen more, right? Like, there's still, and that's the great thing about marriage, too, is that it, you, the person you married is not the person you thought they were because they change and they grow. Thank God for that. And there are new things to discover about each other in marriage. And the thing is, sometimes, though, you can be around someone so much that, like, when we were first dating, I was like, I don't know everything about you. Like, what's your favorite type of food? You're right. You start off with those kind of questions. I would ask, like, what's your favorite number? And I know that it's eight, and I know why. Because it's symmetrical. No! <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That just came out. That was just... You know, all right, Steph Curry, no, it's, um, it's because number eight is symmetrical, 
right? If you didn't know that about Aaron, now you do, right? Um, but even after five, and five years compared to some, it's not a lot of people have been for 50 years. So, but even after five years, like, there's still new remarkable things that we're learning about each other. And, and like, the level of your intimacy is determined by the amount of wonder that you carry. Like, when you stop wondering, your intimacy is going to go away. Like, once you think you just know everything, you're familiar, the intimacy starts to go away. The people that grew up with him, they even said, isn't this Mary's son? Now, if you look at the Bible, it's always like the son of a man, the son of this man, the son of this man. You hear it go, isn't this the son of Mary? And that was also kind of a dig at his origins. Remember, Mary, the Holy Spirit came. She became pregnated. And, you know, if they ever share that story, people are like, yeah, whatever. Right? Like, yeah, right. And so when they say, oh, Mary's son, they're saying like, He's a bastard. We don't even know who his father is. And someone like that is supposed to be this prophet or this Messiah? Like, they couldn't recognize him, and they took offense to it. They're like, he doesn't look the way we, we thought he would. You know, in my class, uh, I'm also a history and math teacher for sixth graders. Um, and we're going through right now, like, you know, Paleolithic age and Neolithic age and all that stuff. And, you know, we're, we're studying, like, first civilizations in Mesopotamia and you know, we're writing, I think I wrote down like 3000 um, BC or something, and the kids are like, what's BC? And so we started getting to talk about that, and um, it doesn't stand for before Christ, but, you know, it, but, the, but the calendar that we have is based on the Gregorian calendar, which is based on the year of our Lord, or it has roots with Christianity, and so I was explaining like, on, when it hits zero, um, it's based around the life of Jesus, right? And some people believe that he, he died and rose again, and I have believers, and I was like, there was a man, and I have this one girl, I love her so much, and she's like, he was not a man. <laughs> he was God. And inside, I'm like, he was man and God, right? But, but, but we'll talk later, right? <laughs> You know, and, and, then, um, and then we're talking about, you know, a little bit. We go, I go off on tangents with my kids all the time, and they probably like, they're like, yeah, 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 get them off the subject. Um, but I'm like, that is the subject, kids. And so, yeah, hey, no. Um, but we're talking about, you know, Christianity and Jesus, and, and so I looked at this girl, and she's from Eritrea, and I, and I was like, and I was like, have you guys ever seen a picture of Jesus? Because we were also looking at um, so, something called the Epic of Gilgamesh, and there's paintings about it, and we're like, whoa, wait, was this, when was this painted, do you think? Do you think this was painted like 3,000 years ago? And kids were talking about it. I was like, have you seen pictures of Jesus? And, and kids were raising their hand, and, and then they were like, so I was like, do you think that's what he looked like? And they were like, mm, probably not. And so I was like, so, and then I showed him a picture really quickly. I was like, and it's, it's, I think it's a Norwegian Jesus, or it's the popular one that was made popular by a European painter, right? It's, is it, oh, it's that one right there. You're like, he's right behind you. He can hear you, right? So, and, and yeah, so something like that, right? And, and it's, it's like more European features, and it was painted by a European artist. And, and I was like, and so I was like, do you think that's what he looked like? But that's European. Was, where was Jesus born? We're talking about, oh, in the Middle East. What do people in the Middle East look like? And I was like, so he probably looked more like that and, and less like this. And then I was like, have you ever seen a black Jesus? And then my kids started laughing because I guess there's a show called Black Jesus or something or, or something out there. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I see that show or whatever they're talking about, you know. I got to get back on YouTube, keep up with my kids. Um, and, and then I was like, have you ever seen a Chinese Jesus? And, like, they couldn't stop laughing. They, were, they, they for some reason, whatever, they thought that was the most hilarious thing in the world, that Jesus would be Chinese. Um, and so then we just, I just, you know, Later, that, I showed them a couple pictures of a black Jesus, of a Chinese Jesus, right? 
white Jesus. And then I was like, so, so why do you think um, people paint Jesus in so many different ways? And we were talking about it, and, and kids kind of came to the, um, they're like, they want, they want Jesus to look like them. They want, they want him to be like their Jesus. So you have a black Jesus, you have a Chinese Jesus, you have a white Jesus. But the thing is, there isn't a white Jesus or a black Jesus or a Chinese Jesus. But all of those groups can see themselves in Jesus. They can recognize themselves in Jesus. But when he came to his own people, the Jewish people, they couldn't recognize him. They couldn't see him. But this centurion could. His response is so interesting. The centurion says, Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. Now, first, um, that is a little still surprising to me because there was that rule. Like if a Roman citizen says, carry me a mile, you go with him two miles. And, he, and Jesus is even submitting himself to a Roman centurion. And basically, this is what's going on, though. It's like, Jesus, you're the Messiah, so if you do your job, I'm out of my job as a centurion oppressing Israel. And so he says, my servant is ill. And Jesus is like, I'll come with you. I'll go, how far is your house? One mile, two miles, I'll go with you. But the centurion's response is this. I'm not worthy to have you come into my home, that you should come under my roof. But only speak a word, and my servant will be healed. Like, where does that kind of faith come from? And I think there's a clue here. He says, for I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. There's something about being under authority that allows you to recognize authority. There's something about being under authority that gives you faith. Now, Jesus even submitted himself to authority. He submitted himself to God. Like God said, this is my plan for the world. You're going to die. And he was like, I don't really like that. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when he said, if there's any other plan, take this cup away. Like, you're God. So do you have, I, I mean, you, you must, is there another plan? I mean, you're God. Tell me if there's any other plan in your God wisdom. Is there any other way to make this happen without me doing this? But not my will, your will. And if it means I have to face a cross, I'll do it. He submitted himself to God. He even submitted himself to the Jewish laws and customs at that time and to the Roman laws and customs at that time. He paid his taxes. Jesus was a man under submission. Now, um, that word submitted, uh, I know it's like, I think we had that word in our, our wedding, right? Our ceremony, like submit and submission. And we, we invited friends who aren't a part of church um, and, and, like, when they came in and you say the word submission, like, you get, oh. <laughs> I'm only here because I love Aaron and Joe. But this religious stuff, oh, and the oppression. And, and I mean, I, mean I, I, used to, I used to box and train a little bit in Muay Thai and stuff like that. My friend, we discovered these videotapes about um, the UFC, like, in the 90s. And they were, like, you can win by knocking someone out or, like, choking them, right? 
Um, you're like, is this, what is this? <laughs> it's, it's a sport. I don't know why I put use quotes, but it is, there, are, there are rules, and they put you in a cage, and like, remember the rules. Um, <laughs> there's a referee there, too, to make sure that people are following the rules. Uh, but, but there's something called a submission when you can like choke someone out or take their arm and try to bend it in a way that it's not supposed to go, and then they can tap out and say, I submit, right? And, and like when my friend Tom and I, we'd watch these videos and read magazines, because this was before like stuff like this we could find on the internet, um, and tutorials about how to do an arm bar or like a heel hook or rear naked choke, and, and then we would practice on each other, and we couldn't wait till we got the other person in like a choke, and we, and we would just be whispering in there, submit, 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 do you know you want to, right? And like, and like and we were like, just tap, just tap, just tap. And they were like, no, I'm never tapped to you. Submit. Right? And, and like, that's where like, I think our idea of kind of submission comes from is like, like when, if you submit, it's because someone more powerful than you came along and, and forced their will on you and you fought as best you could and then before you're about to black out or your arms, you, I submit, fine, I submit, you're stronger. I submit. But if you even look at the word submit, submission, right? Sub, like a submarine means underwater. It means like under the mission. So submission is not just blind obedience, right? And I was like, don't get it twisted. I'm submitted, but I'm not submissive, right? Submission is action. If you want to submit, you have to actually be powerful. Submissive is the difference between being a doorkeeper and a gatekeeper, letting people in or out, or being a doormat where someone just steps on you and rubs all over you. We are as powerful people as believers of God. We are submitted, but we're not submissive. Jesus was not submissive. He turned the world upside down. He created a whole calendar around his life. He's not submissive. But he was submitted. Now, um, man, when we first got married, I, I rented a documentary, and I was watching. This was like in 20, 2009, 2010, and it was on Tesla. Right? And people are like laughing at Tesla. It's never going to work. I mean, this industry is pretty lock solid. You can't break in here. You have to, everyone has to get a solar panel. It's just too, the startup cost is just too much. And I watched the documentary. I was so inspired. I was like, I'm going to buy Tesla stock. And I went and Googled it. It was like $14 a share. And I was like, huh. <laughs> I was like, man, four, I was like, I was like, and then I started thinking, man, people are talking about how risky it is and volatile this market is. And, and then, like, kind of forgot about it. And then, like, a couple years later went back, and then it was, like, $250 a share. Right? Uh, but this is not about that. <laughs> but, and so there's Tesla, right? They're doing well. Their cars go from, like, zero to 60 in, I think, two and a half seconds. Like, they're even fa- or maybe faster. Like, they're faster than, I think, some... Ferraris or Lamborghinis. I mean, it's a fast car. It's a powerful car. Now, I will say, I didn't invest in Tesla stock, but um, I bought a Prius. But I bought a. We was kind of going the other way, right? One's an investment. One's a, uh, anyway. But I have a Prius, and I, hey, don't laugh because I like it. It's good. I mean, that thing coasts, right? Like, you're, whenever you're going downhill, like I'm just like, 100 miles per gallon equivalent, whatever that means. Um, now, I do look at Teslas, though, whenever they drive by. I kind of look at it like, if I invested, I probably could have bought one. And, and so, I've never, I've never even gone for a test drive yet, because I know I'd just be kicking myself. But a Tesla and a Prius, they're both cars, but obviously one is more powerful. 
Right? One's a lot more powerful, actually, than the other one. Um, but when we're on the freeway, um, we both are submitted to the authority of the speed limit most of the time. Because sometimes <laughs> in my Prius, I'm going like 80, right? <laughs> and people are like, you're driving a Prius? But you're, anyway. <laughs> one is more powerful, but we're both submitted to the authority, which says 65, which we really know means 70, right? <laughs> now, now, that's how I would view authority. Man, I'm so powerful. But I got to limit my potential because authority says I can only go this far. And I'm submitting myself to that. And authority limits me. But, you know, got to do it. But take that Tesla where there is no authority, where there is no law, where there are no roads. How fast can you go? <laughs> Drop it in a swamp or like, like how, fast, how fast can that Tesla go? All this power can't do anything. Drop it on the side of a mountain. There's a verse that says, I run along the paths of your command. I run along the paths of your command, for you've set my heart free. And you see, actually what authority does is that it, allow, it, gives, it creates a space where you can use that potential and that power that you have. So when you submit to the right authority, that power can now be used. And if you want to go 120, 130, there are areas where you are authorized to do that as well. Right? I mean, come on. So when you submit yourself, when you submit yourself to the right authority, the power that you have can actually be used. And you're not just spinning your tires in the mud getting frustrated. You can actually access that power. Now, authority was God's. And God created everything. He had authority. He had power. And then he created man. And then he gave man and woman authority and power. He gave it to him said, you know what? I have all this authority. I'm going to authorize you. Now, when this centurion came and said, I'm also a man under authority, he's not saying, I'm under authority. I'm oppressed. He's a centurion. What he's saying is, I'm authorized by Caesar. So when he walks into a room and says, I'm under authority, he's saying, I'm authorized by Caesar. Who are you authorized by? All the power of Rome and Caesar, I carry that on my back. I'm authorized. I'm under authority. When we are under the authority of God, we're saying, like, I'm authorized by God. We're not oppressed. We're authorized by God. So God says, I'm going to give all this authority that I have. I'm going to give it to you, Adam and Eve. Now, you are authorized, right, to rule this world. And so Adam and Eve say, that's awesome. And they take it. But what did they do with it? They gave that authority over what? To Satan. Right? They gave it. And that authority was usurped. It was taken. And that's why Jesus had to come back and said, I've taken all the keys. Right? Which symbolize authority. And I've taken that authority back. And he says, I took it back. And now I gave it back to what? Us. And he says, now I give it back to you. All power and authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Now I give it to you. Authority was lost. And so now when we look at authority, I remember when I was taking French class, and my French teacher said, um, like, she, I was going to attempt a French accent, but then you'll be like, oh, man, it's so bad. But she's like, never trust authority. <laughs> I don't even remember French. Like, never trust. Oh, she said, always question authority. That's what she said. Always question authority. Right? And in my head, I was thinking, like, why should I listen to you then? Right? <laughs> Which is the natural response. Right? Like, so I... Why? And, but isn't that how we feel? Like, question authority. 
Like, don't just accept it. Question authority. Why? Because a lot of us have experienced probably authority that was unjust or unfair. Right? It was not righteous. Authority that we felt was oppressive. And so you got to question authority because people abuse it and people get hurt. But we have to go back to the way beginning. Marriage is awesome. There are bad marriages. But marriage is amazing. And we don't want to say marriages are bad because this marriage. Or because there's an example of a bad marriage, so marriages are bad. Like, marriages are amazing and awesome and so healing and freeing. Are there broken examples of it? Yes. But the institution idea of marriage is an amazing, beautiful thing. We have to understand that we need to renew our minds when it comes to our, our, our view of authority. Authority is actually a beautiful thing. And you may have experienced a negative example of that, that was abusive or oppressive, but that was a negative or bad example of authority, which is a beautiful thing. Because in my classroom, I have the authority in my classroom. And my students in my classroom feel safe because I'm the authority. In my classroom, here's a sign of true God-given authority. You bring peace. Because that's what authority is supposed to do. When there's right authority and right order, there's peace. We need to understand this world is broken. And we're reclaiming what the enemy took back. But as we reestablish authority, we need to understand that authority is actually a good thing. And it's a beautiful thing. And when you submit yourself to authority, and first God's authority... It allows the power within you to be released as well. I mean, I would even remember um, coming to, like, I graduated my eighth graders last year. I had them for a little over two years. Same group, about 27 kids, 28 kids, teaching math, English, science, and history for two years, seventh grade and then eighth grade. And there was one girl that transferred into my class, and people were like, man, she's a tough kid. She... She's got some attitude, you know, and all this. And I was like, I was like, all right. I mean, sounds like a kid, right? So, okay, put in my class. And she was in my class, and you know, there's certain expectations out of my class. I understand she's new, but she was out doodling or something. I walked by, I was like, oh, excuse me, what's she be doing right now? And she, she, and she, she, she growled at me, <laughs> like she went, <clears throat> and so I was like, okay, so that's not what we're supposed to be doing right now. Um, we're actually supposed to be doing our, and I, and I explained it to her, and she was just like, I, she, I mean, she, it, it was like, like, she was clenching her teeth, and just like, like her nostrils were flaring, like, I can still see it right now. And inside, like, kind of laughed, right, like, wow, that's such an overreaction to my question. And, so, <laughs> and, then, and so at lunch, I was like, hey, hey, stick around, I want to talk to you. And then I played, I was like, hey, I know you're new to the class, just want to make sure, check in with you. I was like, oh, in the morning. Were you sure what you're supposed to do? And she was like, yes. And I was like, remember when I walked by? And I was like, what are you supposed to do? And then you growled at me? <laughs> and like, and I, I really act, I acted. I was like, you were like. And then I started like. <laughs> and she's laughing, right? And I was like, and I was like, I was like, I was like, what? I was like, I, I understand. Maybe you didn't like that. And, and maybe you felt like I'm trying to control you. I was like, but that's actually not what I'm trying to do. Um, I got to know her better. I had her for two years. Um, Saw the relationship that she had with, with her mom, who, good mom, loves her, wants the best for her, um, super high expectations, can be demanding at times, and kids can feel just like, man, like, 
you're always telling me what to do, and you're always... So, like, when she growled at me, I knew she wasn't growling at me. I was like, who are you growling at? <laughs> like, when she went... And she, her not... I was like, I was like man, that, that's... Because I know you don't get that angry because someone asks you, like, what should she be doing? I was like, you're growling, but I know you're not growling at me. Who are you growling at? And a lot of times, our first authority and exposure to authority are, are often our parents. And that's an area where we need to invite God and say, even God, if my earthly parents didn't represent that safe, peace-giving, empowering authority, but God, you're first. And a lot of times we take our experiences and then we project it to God and they're not great. But this centurion, somehow, it worked for him. He said, I'm also a man under authority and I have people under me and I tell them to go and they go and come and they come. So that's how it is with you. And it worked for him. Now, Here, here's the thing that, that gets me about, his, about this, this, the faith of this centurion. He says, just say the word. Adam and Eve recognized God's voice. Whenever he called, they knew it was him. They recognized his voice. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, there were two trees, right? The tree of, of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And can't go into that sermon right now, but I believe God wants to honor our choice. And we talk a lot about this church, how... God wants to reward you for making the right choice, but he can't reward you for making the right choice if there is no choice. And he wants to, otherwise, it's just, it's not, you're just being submissive, right? You're not being submitted. And so he gives them the choice. And so they're like, oh, wait, God told us not to eat from this one. But the moment they decide to, to listen to the words of deception and lies over God, they submitted to that voice. And it's not like they said, they didn't say, God didn't say. That's what the serpent said. Well, the serpent said, did God really say they didn't say, oh, God did, actually didn't say to eat this. They said, God said not to eat it. They didn't twist God's words at all. They just chose to take someone else's words and put it higher than God's words. They chose to submit themselves to someone else's words. And for believers, it's not that we don't necessarily know what God has said. It's just that our ears are listening and submitting to other voices and other expectations above God's. And that's what's messing us up. That's the issue right there. It's not that you can't even hear God. It's that you're listening more to what other voices are saying. Adam and Eve recognized God's word, but they also elevated someone else's words above God. You know, with my kids, um, as I'm teaching, and um, I'll be, I'm teaching them how to take notes because I'm like, oh, man, sixth grade, like, you don't know how to do anything, right? So, like, <laughs> so I was like I'm going to teach you how to take notes. Right? And when I'm teaching them how to take notes, they're actually not learning how to take notes. They're copying down what I'm copying down, it's not, which is not really taking notes, but I'm like, copy everything I copy down. So I'm like, I would write this down. And one of my students is just sitting there looking at me. So I said it again, I would write this down. <laughs> and he's probably thinking, you are writing this down. <laughs> right? And so one more time, I was like, I would write this down. And I was like, hold up, hold up, class. All eyes on me. You know, and sometimes I'll be like, find me, find me. And that's, that's their cue to like, where are you, where are you? And I'm like, over here, over here. And so I'm like, find me. And I was like, just so you know, when I say I would write this down, what I really mean is you should write this down. <laughs> and I'm kind of being nice about it and making it like an invitation or a suggestion, but it's, it's kind of a command, right? <laughs> so when I say I would write this down, it means you should. So sometimes my class will be like, I would. And my kids go, you should. <laughs> I'm like, all right. And so... You got to teach him. You got to teach him. And so, but, but you know what? That, that's, that's how we treat God's word. God's like, I would live this way. 
I wouldn't. I would live this way. You did, Jesus. You did live that way. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, and then God's like, when I say I would, it means you should. <laughs> Sometimes we're like sixth graders. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Jesus said this. I mean, if you're a Jewish person sitting there in this Roman centurion, you're like, oh, get him, Jesus. Oh, yeah, get, get him. Get him. He don't even know what's about to happen. Right? And then he comes up. He's like, my servant is sick. I'll go with you. What? He's like, he's the enemy, Jesus. And then Jesus now says that he adds insult to injury. He says, I'll be back. But before I go, I want to tell you something. And then he says, I've not found such great faith, not even Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, sitting at your table, eating your food. But you, the sons of the kingdom, will be cast out into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That story is a story that a parable that Jesus told several times where he said a king had a great feast, a wedding, and he, and he, and he sent out invitations, right, saying, come, come to this feast that I prepared for you. And people said, oh, I'm too busy. Oh, another time. I, I'll, I'll, can I take a rain check? Now, when the king invites you, it's not really an invitation. It's a command. And when you come, he doesn't say, bring a gift. Like, you bring a gift. And the thing is, we treat God's words and commands like instruction manuals in Ikea set, right? Where it's like... These are the manufacturer's, manufacturer's suggestions of how I should put it together, but I'm going to do it on my own. And then we always have empty p missing pieces, and then you never throw those away because you're like, one day I might need these for something, because they sent it in the box, so I need it, right? When the king issues an invitation, it's an honor, but it's also a command for those who can hear it. Can the praise team come up? Now, here's the beautiful part. Jesus says this. Then he turns back to the centurion. Go your way, and, has, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. The centurion says to him, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word. Only speak a word. Like, he valued the words of Jesus. Only speak a word and my servant will be healed. Now, Matthew wrote this and his servant was healed at that very moment. He didn't know at that moment that his servant was healed. I don't know how they found out. Maybe they said, let me come with you. And they walked to his house. Or maybe they, the centurion sent report back, oh, my servant is healed. But at that very moment, his servant was healed. And the centurion didn't have any evidence that the centurion was healed. But he did, because Jesus said, your servant is healed. That was all the evidence he needed. The only evidence he needed was, God, if you say it, it's done. And I don't see it. I don't see my servant at all. And maybe he lived a mile away. Maybe he lived a day away. Maybe he lived a week away. And so for one week, as he's walking home or riding on his horse back home, he doesn't see it, but he knows it. And he's received it. 
Because he's received the word and said, I believe the word. You said the word. Just speak the word and it's done. And as I was praying for you, church, for the members of this church, there are some of you when Ryan was sharing about like your heart and the treasures of your heart and the promises God has spoken. Like, I felt this. I got this promise from God and I don't see it. I don't see it. I felt like God saying, encourage them. Let them know that they're walking home and the promise has been answered. And they don't see it. But I've spoken the word. I've spoken the word and they have it. Church, let's value the word of God. Let's submit to the word of God. Praise to me as you can kind of take us into a time of worship. There's one thing I do want to pray for as well. Um, if you could just pray with me. God, we just thank you that you are, we feel like we're not worthy to have you come into our house. But you've taken us into your house. And you've clothed us with all power and all authority. And God, you are the most powerful being in the world with all authority. But you use your power and authority to serve. Use your power and authority to love. Teach us. This world needs to see your beautiful authority. This world needs to see your church as powerfully submitted people. People who not just have the authority to do something, but have the power to make a change. God, restore righteous authority. And as we are praying today, God, that we want government characterized by righteousness and authority. God, that's our prayer. God, we want to see righteous government. As we worship, there are going to be people up here who are going to pray for you if you need it. I just want to pray right now for any of you who you're, you're conflicted about authority. And some of you might know why. Some of you might not know why. But your boss tells you to something. Instantly, there's something like, don't tell me what to do. Or there's, there's even um, maybe even a friend or a colleague, someone on the same level. But they ask you. And you're like, don't tell me what to do. Like, don't try to control me. It just comes out just like I said no to Cancino when he's talking about Kobe Bryant. <laughs> It just comes out without you even thinking it. There's just a reaction inside of you that just comes out that's just resentful and, and just, I'll say the word, rebellious. But the Lord is saying your rebellion is not a sign of, of your, your wickedness. The rebellion is a sign of your woundedness. And he wants to deal with that. That's you, just put your hand on your heart and I want to pray with you. Father, I pray that you come, you have come to redeem what a good father is. You've come to, to, to redeem what good and healthy, empowering authority is. And God, I just pray for my brothers and sisters in this room right now who just need you to come and renew their mind on what beautiful authority looks like so that they can submit to it, so that they can be authorized, so that they can be empowered. God, I just pray for grace. It's not wickedness that makes people rebel. God, it's woundedness. And God, you are the great healer. You've shown over and over again you're willing to heal the leper. You're willing to heal the servant of a centurion. God, you are willing to heal our wounds. So we just open this time of worship. We invite you, Holy Spirit. We submit ourselves right now to your authority and to your power and say, God, Holy Spirit, come and have your way. Come and have your way.